Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Menakaolam, Asher Kitshanu, Bemitotab Betivanu, La Asok Bedivre Torah, Ve Haarevna Adonai Eloheinu et Divre Torateka, Befinu Ufi Amka Betisrael, Venie Anaknu Veza Etzainu, Veza Etzae Amka Betisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Velom de Torateka Lishma. Baruch Ata Adonai Hamlame Torah Leamo Yisrael. Amen. Baruch Aba B'Shem Adonai. May it be soon in our days that we see the resurrection of the dead, the return of our king, the revealing of Mashiach ben David, and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash on Har Moriah, the gathering in of all the scattered tribes, the exiles of Yisrael, the redemption and the tikkun of all mankind of the whole entire world. Creation stops groaning and everything be all right. It's okay. Anyway, Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai for real. So don't really have much time this week. So I just want to let everybody know I'm going to call this the Vieira drop zone. We're going to get into Egeret Romans. We're going to get into um, what happened uh, with the three angels visiting Abraham. We're going to talk about the Akedah. And we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to start with shouting out two brand new Avengers. Yes, that's right. Two brand new Avengers. They just got added yesterday, and they're actually from the same family. Haha, <laughs> go figure. The first one, this lady needs no introduction, so I'm going to give her one. So there's a movie coming out, supposedly, next year called Love and Thunder or something like that. And it's the Thor movie. In the movie, you're going to see a character that apparently is now a Avenger in our shul. This lady said she did not want to be a Avenger. And I was just like, for not wanting to be a Avenger, you're truly acting like one. So you need to you need to know that you're failing at not wanting to be a Avenger because because you're killing it right now. So here's how I went down. So we're sitting at the Hanukkah, the Hanukkah craft fair. So shouts out to the Hanukkah fair. It was legit. Uh, and you know, me and a couple of other Avengers were just kind of chilling. Mainly myself and each Pela were kind of going going back and forth on something that happens in John chapter five. So in Yokanon chapter five, it's going down because there's a lame person who got healed and he's now walking around with his mat that he used to lay on because that's all he could ever do because he could not walk. And he gets accosted by some religious leaders of the Jewish people, yikes, that say, what are you doing carrying your mat? Because you're carrying on, well, they didn't say all this, but this is the Amet Midrash. You're carrying on Shabbat and you tripping, you breaking all sorts of halakhic codes. What's wrong with you? Put your mat down. Tell me who, who healed you and who told you you should be carrying this mat. Notice... Not a lot of emphasis is put on the healing. Just you're breaking halakha. 
Uh, I don't care if you used to be lame. I don't care if you were paralyzed. I don't care if you're now experiencing something that you uh, used to not be able to do at all. I don't care. I need to know who did this because it's the Holy Sabbath of God and you're ruining it because you're carrying a mat around with your new legs and stuff. Okay. So anyway, that was just a little bit of what was going on with myself and Ishpela. Later on in that chapter, we were also talking about this connecting, that Yeshua had to be engaging with the Pharisees, or Sika, he had to be engaging with the Sadducees, because this is the whole part where Yeshua says, you search for me, you search for eternal life in the scriptures, and you, you can't find it, and here I am. Let me actually read that appropriately, because I can't be messing up such a a wonderful section of beautiful, amazing, get you some from our very own Mashiach. Just disrespectful to misquote the man. I mean, Hashem. I mean, the angel of Hashem. I mean, the Shliach of Hashem. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway, he says in verse 39, you carefully study, search, examine, you drosh. The scriptures, the Torah, the Tanakh, the writings, because you think you because you think they give you eternal life. Like the Bracha says, you've you've implanted eternal life within us through the Torah. Right. So it's just like, let's go ahead and look at that, because Ishpela also shared something. He shared this with me and I was just like, boy, what is wrong with you? He says, if you notice why we say that prayer. He planted and planted eternal life within us, says the Torah of truth, eternal life. This is in the Arch Scroll Sidur on that bracha on, during Shabbat on the Shakari portion where we do the Torah service. If you look at the commentary for Vech or Torah Emet dot 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 Vechaye Olam, notice it's saying the Torah of Emet which is the Torah of truth, is equated with Chaye Olam, eternal life. So say la on that. But anyway, says the Torah of truth refers to the written Torah. Eternal life refers to the oral Torah. Come on, man. What did Yeshua just say? Yochanan 5.39. You carefully study, search, examine the scriptures, the Tanakh, the writings, the Torah. Because you think they give you eternal life. They do in fact testify witness about me concerning me. Okay, so you search all that, right? And he goes on to say, I don't need praise from people, but I know you. Okay, so he's just like, you're looking for eternal life. They Even the written word testifies about me. You just need the oral Torah to see it. And you also need the oratory to have eternal life. So therefore, if you're searching for eternal life and you're not looking at the oral Torah, that's why you're searching the scriptures, looking for it. And here Yeshua is telling us, hey, eternal life is standing before you. Anyway, so Yeshua is saying that he's the oral Torah, which is completely Jewish. Okay. So, again, we're getting up to our newest Avenger, one of them. 
So this is what she she's in the background on all this. Well, not on all this. This is some extra stuff that's coming down right now. It's fresh out the kitchen, the kitchen of Shamai. Anyway, the oral Torah is the I'm back to the Sidor. The oral law is described as implanted within us because Jews constantly expand their Torah knowledge through their personal study. That is from the Tor Orach Chaim 139. That's why it's eternal life is because it's the oral Torah, which is a constantly expansion of Torah knowledge through personal study, i.e. why eternal life or salvation or being saved is known as having a personal relationship with the Lord. And yes, I do mean his Mashiach and himself, because if you have a relationship with Mashiach, you should have a relationship with Hashem if you've got the right Mashiach. Come on, testify. OK, anyway. So anyway, that was going on. Right. So we just connected the whole thing about, you know, he's walking and they're all upset with him about that. And then, you know, they want to know who healed. And it was interesting that there's a group of Sadducees. So the Sadducees are trying to be in charge of Halakha. Now, the ruling is still out whether or not this was a group of Sadducees. OK, because if you go up a little bit. This is also the same chapter where Yeshua says, I can do nothing alone by myself or on my own initiative. So if you have, as they say, Christ alone, you you have nothing. But anyway, going on, I told myself before I did this podcast that I was going to be like focusing on just mankind in general as if I haven't been doing that before. But for some reason, I just kind of felt like I need to make sure that I'm podcasting to the world. Literally, not just to Jewish people. So, yeah. And it's like, OK, already out the gate. We're telling people that if their hope is found in Christ alone, that's that's nothing. So. All right. Way to start this thing off. Right. OK. Anyway, that wasn't meant to be shade thrown at anybody, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But if it was shade thrown, then Bezrat Hashem, it's something you needed to hear. Um, because we got to get down to the truth. Time is running out. May still have a few hundred years or however long Hashem wants us to have. But if we're supposed to be hastening the day of the redemption, like Kepha told us, you know, Peter, he told us that we should be doing that. He wrote that in his letter, by the way. Uh, yeah. So we, we should be looking at the, you know, the clock, our wristwatch that, Hey, what is truth? And is it my truth or is it Hashem's truth? And if it's my truth and not Hashem's truth, then I need to I need to make some adjustments. OK, but anyway, so going on backwards in chapter five. Let's see here. This man, he's at the pool of Bethsaida. OK, the Bethsaida pool, the mikvah. OK, so um, a man lying there, he was disabled. Yeshua saw him. You want to be well. There's no one to help me. Oh, and I got to tell Pac that he is a Avenger. He's the beast. He's Coyote uh, from the X-Men, the blue guy. Anyway, not to be confused with the other blue guy who is Nightcrawler. He's also a cool guy. So if we have any Nightcrawler Avenger out there, please show yourself. Teleport. 
Okay, anyway, anyway, uh, back to the reading. Though. So I was telling him that because he also had a little drop, of course, on this as I was kind of recounting the trauma, trying to get there. Okay, but anyway, so he said, you know, it, it was always interesting to me when Yeshua was like talking to him because he's like, hey, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, well, I'm trying, but like I keep doing this and like everybody keeps going in before me. And it's like, he seeming like to make these excuses. And then Yeshua is like, coming to him about his quote-unquote excuses that he's making and it's just like these aren't excuses Yeshua is using this as an engagement and conversation just like he said uh Adam where are you Hashem knows where that man was so anyway Yeshua knew why this man wasn't healed and so in other words what Pac was bringing out was a beautiful uh, another side of this thing that Yeshua wasn't giving this guy an out just because he had excuses or just because he had disability or just because he was far from his goal. Yeshua was engaging him to say, what do you want? Because whatever you want, you can attain through your heavenly father who knows what you need before you ask it. So I told I told Beast, he better go get back in a tree before I do something to him that will be involved in security and CIA coming in like ninjas. And of course, he uh, he was just like, OK, my bad. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Your bad you can't be coming up here. I'm trying to tell you something. And then you throwing something back at me. What's wrong with you, man? So anyway, so just to kind of finish out that point, because I'm still just kind of like, why? I was trying to share something with you. Everything was going nice. And then you got violent. You had to turn blue and just start tearing up stuff. And he goes. So, yeah. So anyway, so just learning that from him. So what I took away from that was let us know beyond reasonable doubt. Whatever we feel like is something that cripples us, pun intended, something that disables us, something that shuts us down, something that keeps us impeded from where we're trying to get to, that it's through speaking to Hashem and by the power Hashem will release through that man like he he literally will cause things to happen to us like this guy is like i need to get in the water the water is going to help me and yeshua is like what's the source of the water so do you want to be healed and the guy's like this is what literally what the guy says verse seven sir there is no one to help me to get into the pool when the water starts moving while i am coming to the water someone else gets in before me <laughs> so it's just like I do want to get healed, basically, is what he said. So here's what Yeshua's answer to him is. Verse 8, pick or stand up. First of all, he says, kuma, stand up. Like we say, kuma, uh, for the uh, the Vahibin Torah. What do we say? Going back to the uh, Vahibin Torah. We say, kuma Adonai ve'afutsu oivecha. Arise, Adonai, let your foes be scattered. So Yeshua is telling this guy, basically, if you really look at the ridiculousness of this, pick up your mat. Okay, first of all, Kuma. Now pick up your mat, because you're not supposed to carry on Shabbat. 
but uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Pick up your mat and walk. Okay, so you're going to have a guy carrying his mat on the Shabbat, walking around, who was formerly paralyzed. He could not walk. He could barely crawl because apparently he sat close enough to the pool where, where he would try to maneuver himself to get into the pool. Someone was already ready to jump in the water ahead of him. So that's ridiculous. So immediately the man was well. He became whole. He picked up his mat and began to walk. I'm reading verse eight and it says or yeah, I'm verse nine now. The day the day this happened was a Shabbat. So the Jews, it says the Jews, the Jews, man, what's wrong with them peoples? Let's get uh, let's get some TLV going over here. Um, see what they say on this verse. They say the Judean leaders, they just call them Judean leaders. So we're not sure yet says they said to the man who had been healed today is the Shabbat. It is against our law for you to carry your mat on the Shabbat day. What's wrong with you? You breaking commandment number four, bro. Not to mention that this guy is complete opposite of an idolater because that's what the keeping of Shabbat is equated to being a person who repudiates idolatry which is what a Jew is, by the way, according to Tractate Megillah, which means that if you are Shomer Shabbat, you are walking in, pun intended, a, a form and an aspect and a semblance of conversion. So happy birthday to those who are entering into keeping Shabbat in their life. So you're like becoming born again just from keeping the Shabbat. We haven't even talked about immersing in a mikvah, uh, eating kosher. We haven't talked about circumcision. We haven't talked about, you know, any of that other stuff. We just talked about just Shabbat. The fact that you're just going to recognize the day of the Shabbat and do Shabbat stuff. But anyway, verse 11. But he answered them, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. And they asked him, who is this man? Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Who is it? But the man who had been healed, did not know who it was because there were many people in that place and Yeshua had left. <laughs> I love it. Yeshua was like so indistinguishable. He couldn't like point him out. He wasn't like, oh, the glowing gentleman over there. It was like, first of all, there's so many people in here. Yeshua is like a man, like heavy quotations on that. And so I can't tell if he's still here or not. And besides, Without his knowledge, Yeshua had already left. So fast forward, literally one verse later, one verse later, later, Yeshua found the man at the temple. Come on, man. The guy picks up his mat and what does he do on the Shabbat? He goes to the temple. What? I'm sorry, because so many times when people feel like they've got healed or saved by the Messiah, they feel like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I can go do my thing. And it's like homeboy went to the temple. Say la on that. Anyway, so and they said to him, see, you're well now. Or Yeshua said to him, Slika. And Yeshua said to him after he found him at the temple, see, you're well now. 
Stop sinning. Sin no more. So that something worse does not happen to you. Of course, that would freak anybody out. <laughs> if if you have the living Torah of Hashem come up to you, like the Torah scroll gets up and walks to you and says, stop sinning so that something worse does not happen to you. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm praying six times a day. I'm wearing zit zit. I'm wearing three keepers. I'm rapping to feeling uh, all the way up till noontime. Um, I, I will, I will, uh, mikvah every 30 minutes. Um, you know, you'll just get, you'll just go there. I want the highest hexer ever. Like you'll go there. <laughs> like you'll be like, Oh my gosh. Like what? So imagine that with this guy, you know, he goes from paralyzed, paralyzed, getting taken advantage of, you know, because he can't get in the water. Yeshua comes up to him, asks him all these crazy questions because he feels like, why are you asking me this? You know, I want to get healed because I'm trying. And Yeshua's like, well, do you want to be healed? Because I hear you saying you're trying, but do you want to be healed? Because he, he's letting him know there's another way that this can go down if you want it to, if you can receive it. I'm just going to leave it in your court, though, because Hashem is like that. He leaves it in our court. He wants to know what we want to do with it, which is so cool when it comes to bringing the Geula avengers can i get a hallelujah let's go anyway he's leaving it in our court like what do we want because it can go down a certain way or it can go down however he wants to give it to us so that's speedily and soon in our days and um you know i'm ready to go to the final redemption let's let's make it happen all right so anyway um that's what I want, Hashem. Please hear our voices as we cry out, Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai, Harakaman, who Yezekinu Limot HaMashiach, Vechaye HaOlam Haba. Amen. Harakaman, who Yezekinu Limot HaMashiach, Ulchaye HaOlam Haba. Mingdol Yeshua, Malko, Veose, Hesse, Limshiko, Leda Viu, Lezaro, Ado. Lamos say shalom, get you some. Who I say shalom. Okay, anyway, that kind of stuff. Because I want to let everybody know when I say all these Hebrew words are found in the Birkai Amazon that we sing on Shabbat. Anyway, so yeah, so he goes from that to like, oh my goodness, I'm walking. I'm picking up my mat. I got so much walking strength. I can pick up my mat that I used to lay on. Oh my goodness. I'm doing it. I'm killing it. And then he gets accosted by some leaders and they're like, what are you doing? Who did this to you? Why are you carrying on Shabbat? What's wrong with you? Put that mat down. Why are you walking? He's, uh, I don't even know where to start, you know, on answering that. But then later he's like, you know what? I think I should walk to temple because I can walk now. So I'm going to walk myself to the temple. Yes. Thank you very much. Toda Rabbah. Toda Hashem Or it was Toda. Toda Hashem. Something, something. It's Benny Freeman. I love that song, though. I just don't know the words. All of them. I need to write a rap to that. <laughs> anyway, that would be so crazy. I just gave myself another project. Good night. Okay. So anyway. 
So he's carrying his mat. He goes to the, he puts it down, I guess, because after that whole crazy uh, TSA type searching stuff, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not flying this airline anymore. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, he gets to the temple and then he's like, okay, chilling. Yeshua appears and he's like, whoa. Yeshua's like, okay, now stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. He's like, okay. So I'm in the temple and uh, I am totally wanting to convert myself to being a Levite, if that is possible, like on some Melchizedek stuff. <laughs> anyway, go from an Israelite to a Levite. Might as well, since he went from a paralytic to uh, a person who can walk to the temple. <laughs> anyway, so all that goes on. And then it's just kind of like, what a crazy adjustment of a day, right? So anyway, so that goes, he says, uh, then the man left and told his people, the Jewish leaders, he says that Yeshua was the one who had made him well because Yeshua was doing this on the Shabbat day. Some evil people began to persecute him, but Yeshua said to them, my father never stops working. So I keep working too. Interesting to note, you're not supposed to work on the Shabbat. So what kind of work is Yeshua talking about? He's not talking about mundane work. I can guarantee you that it is not a daily thing to uh, cause people who are paralyzed to walk. That's not mundane work. Pretty sure Yeshua did not get a paycheck for that. And I'm pretty sure he did not have to go to a bank, exchange any money. He didn't have to use any tools power up any uh, machinery to make that happen. He literally just spoke a word. Anyway, verse 18 says, this made them, the Jewish leaders, try still harder to kill him. They said, first Yeshua was breaking the law about Shabbat. Now he says that God is his own father, making himself equal with God. Commentators in this uh, version of the Bible, known as the Expanded Bible, they say both breaking the Shabbat and blasphemy against God were punishable by death. See Shemot 35.2 and Vayikra 24.16. Now that's interesting that even this translation of the Bible went back to appropriate quotes of Torah. So I'm like really impressed right now. This is one of the reasons why I got this version of the Bible, because it, yeah, it has a lot of um, undertones and agendas in it, because when it says evil people, it literally puts in parentheses back in uh, verse 16. It says evil people, the Jewish leaders, the Jews begin to persecute him. So obviously that's a little crazy. All right. So that's the long <laughs> introduction backdrop of what happened because Shomo and I, Ishpela and I are going back and forth and we're talking about this, right? So these leaders, he's just kind of talking about, man, this has to be Sadducees. I mean, there's no oral Torah or anything. And I'm like, wait a minute, because that would make so much sense because you got this halakhic issue that's all out of whack because you can carry on Shabbat depending on what uh what ruling comes down in the halakha because say if you're in an eruv your your domain 
is private. So like it's considered like you're walking in your house. Like there are things you can do in a private domain that you cannot do in a public domain on Shabbat. Namely, if you wanted to literally move your bed across the room or move a couch across the room in your house, that is totally fine. But if you wanted to take your couch out of your house, take it to your neighbor's house who is outside the Arab and move it and do all that kind of stuff, that would be wrong. So moving on Shabbat is actually not legit. It's not appropriate. So anyway, so you have basically a group of people who are not well versed in the oral Torah and they're getting upset with this man for being healed, doing things that are actually not against the written or the oral Torah. And then they're looking for the person who is the whodunit, which happened to be Yeshua. And they're like, oh, we going we going to find you. We going we going to kill you, bro. Like you're, you're getting murdered today. You're going down, boy. You're going to die. It's just kind of like, whoa, what just happened? Like, I thought this was the Sabbath. And it's important to note that whole thing about you shall not kindle a fire on Shabbat is all about anger. Come on, man. So they've kindled a fire on Shabbat, talking about what they're going to do to Yeshua, getting upset with this guy for carrying this mat and overlooking the fact that someone who was paralyzed is now not. So all of that's going on. And I'm like, yeah, so the halakha's out of whack and only Yeshua and Eliyahu could determine the halakha based off of what the oral Torah says about the halakhic rulings that all these halakots that exist, they're totally fine. There's nothing wrong with them. The only problem is when you really want to get down to what is the final and best halakha, only Eliyahu will be able to resolve all of the halakhic uh, contradictions because you can come up with all different type of halakot and the answer to them all is yes which is normally why when you look up halakhic things it always says and this is something that we do here this is something we do there this is a Sephardi thing this is a Moroccan thing da, 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 da. this is the common practice and all that and what did they say at the end but ask your rabbi and this is why it's so legit as Harshalom and Lapid that we have a rabbi and a Beit Dean. Because most people who are believers in Yeshua and try to walk a Jewish life, most times they don't have a Beit Dean, which is issue on issue on issue. Because how are you going to have Halakha? How are you going to have a leader? How are you going to have a mentor? What's going to distinguish you apart from all the other crazy people? that sit in their pajamas in their mother's basement and type up all sorts of stuff on Facebooks and YouTubes and all sorts of other social media. It's just kind of like, do you not have a job? Because I have a job and I barely have time to study my own stuff, much less read what other people are sharing with me, you know? And it's just kind of like, wow. So anyway, just sobriety, not again, not trying to throw shade, but I'm just saying, it's time for us all to make adjustments where we need to make them. I uh, know where I need to make mines and I'm uh, handling my business on that. So blessed be the name of Hashem. We keep it moving. So this lady who's been sitting here this whole time with a shorter version of how this all went down. She goes to say, OK, so this is interesting. This is what she looks like. She's sitting at the table on one side. There are little children on the other side and they all have these little Hanukkah pictures that they're coloring. So the lady grown woman 
coloring with these little children, being a good example of staying inside the lines and everything, is just coloring a picture and goes, that, man, okay, because that's like, like, uh, you know, you have the written Torah, you have the oral Torah, and then, you know, through what you read in the written Torah, you get information about that from the oral Torah, and then prayer is actually what helps you put that in the right frame of mind, the right order, like to get the right interpretation, if you will. Like you can read, you know, a verse of Torah, and then you can go through all the different commentaries. You're like, I don't know what to do on this. And so you have to go to Hashem in prayer, right? And so through that, you actually bring alignment and order to all that you just read and you get to see how is it this or is it this? And the answer is yes. And that comes through your prayer, you're connecting to Hashem. So we're kind of like stunned, first of all, as she continues, because she doesn't stop there. She goes, so then Eliyahu and Messiah are likened to prayer. So it would make sense that only Eliyahu and Mashiach can actually give the appropriate ruling on Halakot. So we're all just sitting at the table like, really? Why? Like, why you got to do this? And Zolan is at one end and he's lost his mind. I blue screened. I don't know what happened to Pela because he's impervious to everything because he's Wonder Man. Uh, he's pure ionic energy. So I don't even know how how he was doing because I was incapacitated. So when I woke up, I was like security breach Zolan because his father is the Black Knight, which is Efrati, the Avenger, uh, which is our one of our safety team uh, members. He's actually the head of our safety team, by the way. And I said, hey, security breach and it's on you. And he goes, dad, <laughs> he just started screaming for his dad. And it's funny because it's just like, OK, so when he responds, if he does, and we were just joking, it's like, what do we say to him? Uh, what is it? What do you want? Why are you calling me? It's like security. We need security for what? She's here. Who's here? Her. That lady. She's dropping crazy bombs and like doing all this ridiculous, violent stuff. And, and there's children here. And this is just wrong. Like she can't do this to us. So we're all just freaking out. And she's like, first of all, did y'all even just understand what we said? We're like, why do you think we call in security? We're going to call the police, too. Like, you're done. You're out of here. You're out. OK, just get just get. We told you get some some just no, it's not right. <laughs> she's just like, what? So Pela goes, yeah, she needs a Avenger name. So anyway. Lots of other cool stuff happened, but with all that being said, I'd like to introduce everyone to Hannah Ferris. Yes, Hannah Ferris, you are on spotlight. Boom, you're on blast. All right, you are Hashmala from the word Hashmal, and we added the feminine ending on there with the hay for the woman. Hashmal is the lightning, electricity, the metallic-y sparks and shines that happened between the coyote as they were carrying the throne of Hashem with the angel of Hashem or Memtet or Yeshua sitting on it in Ezekiel chapter 1. That word Hashmal is commonly used today for electricity. 
So she is the Shomer version of Lady Thor. So introducing everyone to Hashmala. So that's how she got. That's how she. That's how she got to be a Avenger. That's how she got came a Avenger. That's what I was gonna say. That's how she got came. Okay, she just got got done as a Avenger now. So yeah. Okay. So that's what it is. That's just what's up. Like in proper language and everything. She just got a Avenger. <laughs> she just got Avenger. Anyway, so may there be many more. So that was really cool. So she's obviously very, very violent. And uh, we know why. Because uh, Lady Thor carries Thor's hammer and um, just violent. So anyway, Kashmala, Mazal Tov. Glad to have you. No, you didn't want to be a Avenger, but you are. And that's just the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, the next person is her younger sister, our very own Keela. So we have merged in another universe. And yes, that universe is the Star Wars universe. So welcome, Avenger world. We have Jedi's now. Okay, Jedi Knights. And so our newest Jedi is Kav, which is the Shomer version of Ray. The word Kav in Hebrew is literally the ray of light that Hashem shone into the Zimzum space that he contracted himself and made an empty space so that he can create the world. When that space was created, when Hashem um, contracted himself, he made this big vacuum and that vacuum had a little light that shone into it, a ray of light. And that ray of light is called Kav. And that was literally the equivalent of the Bereshit word that Hashem caused creation to come into being. So with this ray of light, this was the creation tool that Hashem used to fashion all of creation. So Kila being Kav is really cool because I've always... This is going to be just a Keela, you're on blast now. This I've always like known about her that she just she's gifted. OK, like when she got her Hebrew name Keela, I mean, that was obviously some legitness because Keela is the word vessel. And um, what you have to know is that in order for us to get creation, especially uh, after the fall of mankind in the garden, there were vessels that contained this light from the Kav, but they shattered. And through Mashiach Yeshua's resurrection power and um, life and all of that, which is just the voice of Hashem, the Torah, I mean, I say just, but it's a whole lot. I mean, it's infinite here. We're talking about infinite, the, the channel of which Hashem engages and interacts with all of finiteness and beyond. Slika. But anyway, that vessel... So that's what she is. And so she's it's funny that this is all matching up because now she can take the cob and put it in her vessel. And now having a vessel that can contain that light with the help of a shim, you know, she can bring forth a greater illumination to everything. So, I mean, it's just like, whoa, like that's that's crazy because the original vessels held the light of Mashiach. But they shattered, and that's how we got all of these different worlds. That's how we can uh, not perceive Hashem and think that we're all a bag of chips. And if you want some dip, I can give it to you because that's how legit I am without even realizing how much Hashem is before us at all times. So anyway, so shouts out to Cobb. We now have a Jedi 
<laughs> in our Avenger world. So may there be many more. I want to see Han Solo. Who's going to be Yoda? It's probably going to be somebody that talks funny. That'd be really cool. And then, you know, all the other stuff, all the other characters in there. So like Mace Windu, like anybody. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we now have Star Wars in the Marvel and DC universe of the Avenger world. That just happened. It's interesting that this all happens during Parsha Vayera, which is exactly like Parsha Leklaka, but on Leela status. And yes, that is something I just made up. Leela, which means going beyond like a higher level, like beyond infinite, you know, so like you there's a level. And then there's a level after the level. And then there's Layla level, which is like, it's beyond. Like, it's it's like the man in Yokanon chapter five who was like, I'm trying to get healed, Yeshua. I'm trying to get healed, Lord, but I can't. Yeshua's like, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be on Layla status? And he's like, yes, <laughs> I guess. I don't know what that means. This is what it means. Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now walk it out. Now walk it out. Okay, anyway, so. Yeah, you holy walk it out. You temple walk it out. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Anyway, I got to let everybody know that um, we are working on what's called Tacoon Tunes. There are popular songs from a lot of our pre-Torah past and uh, popular songs that apparently get caught you know, little clips and like, you know, different trailers or, you know, at the grocery store or whatever, you'll hear something weird and it's like super catchy or whatever. I'm working on like tacoon and that stuff. Cause there's like stuff that just is always pumped out. You know, you'll hear it like almost seemingly everywhere. And you're like, what is this song people are talking about? What is this meme everybody has? And so we're like, you know what? Tacoon tunes, we're going to do it for Hanukkah. We're going to make a little video where we just set up and we're going to talk and we're just going to laugh because we will, because we can't help ourselves. And we're going to just like throw on these little short beats of just tacoon tunes. So one of them, there's a song. Uh, <laughs> can't believe I'm about to do this. The song by a secular rapper called Jay-Z. And it was a song he did a long time ago called Dirt on Your Shoulder or Dirt Off Your Shoulder. That's how far ago it was that I don't even really remember the name of it. But it was a really catchy beat and it was like you know. And so he's like, you gotta get that dirt off your shoulder. You gotta get that dirt off your shoulder. So we were talking about Rabbi, like how on his droshes. He's talking about we got all these golden calves that we got to we need to get rid of. And it was like, we got all these golden calves on our shoulders. We got to get them off. And I was like, oh, that's it. You got to get that calf on your shoulder. You got to you got a golden calf. Then go on, dust your shoulders off. You got a golden calf. Go on, dust your shoulders off. And then we were like in the uh, in the verse, it was like, why they blow the shofar? Why Moshe so far? something something on the mountain bring them back to the har you know because har is mountain so anyway just a little uh, surprise that we're working on didn't mean to really take that much time in this podcast to break that down but tacoon tunes is a thing uh like yes yeshua loves me 
because the Torah tells me so. Little ones to him belong. La da 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 da. Yeah, like all this kind of stuff. Or like, oh holy night, sitting in a sukkah. We're eating challah to bless the name of Hashem. I don't know. That was a really terrible one, but I just made that up. And that's the thing. It's a tikkun tune. We're just going to take all these famous songs and just tikkun them. Put some holy words to them. So anybody got any ideas, you can holler at your boy. Send me an email. Send me a little voice message. I'd love to hear from you. Don't be scared. Uh, we need to have some fun because Hanukkah 5780, we need that be lit which I really don't know the actual definition of lit, but, you know, whatever it is, it apparently means something amazing and pun intended because it's the, the festival of lights. It's Hanukkah. <laughs> so anyway, wow. Just giving y'all all sorts of extra unnecessary information. And this podcast is already ridiculous because it's like, what are we even talking about? It's Parsha Bayera. Anyway, so we're on Layla status with Parsha Bayera. It's exactly like Lech Lecha, but it's on a like, super spiritual sold and beyond level so yeah so all of this stuff that's now starting to transpire that we got the star wars in the avenger universe now and then we got you know all this ridiculousness going on that you know it's just kind of like okay we got lady hashimala over here like getting ridiculous on us and being like did y'all even understand and getting taken to jail and stuff Something wrong with her. Anyway, she needs to get some help, and that's totally what Avengers need. Lots of help. So, uh, I want to go ahead and drop in on Project Bereshit. Um, Dr. Sakal and I have been working frivolously. I don't know if that's a good word, but we've been working a lot, basically, on bringing as many insights on not only the tour portion of Bereshit, but actual sefer bear sheet as we possibly can so we're trying to find as many drops as we can on insights for the tour portion of bear sheet and then we're going along with the weekly tour portions of bear sheet and bringing all those insights out so we're just trying to load it up and we're compiling all this and it's all codified by myself and um, i'm making all this available for people if they want in on any of the insights so here's a little thing that we're in on right now, or we, we talked about this week. So I don't know if anybody is familiar with a show called Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, but it's a super like, wow, like you're out there. Like you've, you've taken going into outer space and going at light speed to like Layla status. Like that's what Deep Space Nine is. Deep Space Nine is like, where are we? <laughs> like, is this even real anymore? So anyway, so... We're talking, right? And so he says, uh, what does he say? Go back far enough. He goes, there's this article here that says, can God p create a rock he can't pick up? And it's from Aish. Whole crazy thing about, you know, God will break his rules. And there are times he won't break his rules and all this kind of stuff. And it, let me go ahead and just read some snippets. Let's read some snippets of this. This was put together by Rabbi Mondale. 
uh, and he is quoting from Sefer Ha'ikarim, Maimonides. Uh, he's also quoting from quoting from Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, uh, Talmud Yerushalayim Ta'anit. Uh, he's also got uh, some uh, Edward R. Raranga, The Nature of God, uh, something published by Cornell University in 1989. So he's got all sorts of stuff, ultimately from a book called Judaism Unraveled, a new book that candidly explores an in-depth manner challenging questions asked about Judaism. So there's that. Uh, so anyway, this is all going through. It breaks, basically brings up, can God die? So we'll go to that after we talk about this rock. It says, so God is logic. It says, in order to tackle the problem with the yes answer that God can create a rock that he can't pick up. It says, can God make a triangle shaped like a circle? Of course not. If we define a triangle as an object formed by the intersection of three lines, it is illogical to ask whether God can make one that is spherical. If God creates an object that is round, then according to our definition of a triangle, the object is no longer a triangle. So can God create a triangle shaped like a circle? According to our definitions, he can't. So what does that mean if God does create one? Okay, so that's something to just kind of step back, you know, and take away from what we just read. Let's find another thing. It says, uh, going down another paragraph, it says, when Judaism characterizes God as omnipotent, it does not mean he can do anything. It means that God has the power to do anything that is logically possible. Part of God's utter perfection is that his every action is the result of pure, undulterated, unadulterated reason. God is incapable of doing something illogical. And logic tells us that a being with infinite strength could never make a rock too heavy for him to lift. So that's why they're saying the answer is yes, God can create a rock that he can't pick up. They said, now let's look at the no. God, there isn't any rock that God can create that he can't pick up. Okay, so on that side of things, they say, turning to the no answer to our original question that God cannot create a rock too heavy for him to lift, it doesn't, or doesn't this imply that there is indeed something God cannot do and that he is thus not all powerful? If we think about it, the question can be posed more generally. Can God, an infinite being, make himself finite? For if God is completely beyond limitations, he should be capable of going against his very nature to turn himself into a being with limitations. If God is not capable of limiting himself, then is he really unlimited, all-powerful God that Judaism claims he is? So this article is full of just thought-provoking things like that. So here's what Dr. Sakal says. Interesting. Dot, dot, dot. 
I believe Rambam with a mem says that God cannot make a circle into a triangle dot dot dot. But I think it was Ramkal, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero and other Kabbalists disagree with Rambam. Both extreme positions are supported. The Ramkal, Pishche Chokma 30, insists that God's omnipotence is absolute, even with regard to the things we would regard as impossible. So in other words, we go back to the article, we go back to Rambam. If God is going to make a triangle that's spherical, uh, we can't do that. He can't do that. According to a triangle is three lines. A spear is a circle. Like it's either three lines or it's a circle. That's Rambon camp. Ram call other Kabbalists. They say, uh, yeah, Hashem can do whatever he wants because he's unlimited. That would limit him if he can't make a circular triangle. Anyway, like a spherical triangle, not a circular triangle. See, guy. Okay. So, because I know we can take a piece of paper and we can kind of write a circle with, you know, three points to it, like circularize our triangle, make it like a fat triangle. But anyway, so he sends me a snippet of Ramban with a noon from Parsha Vaera, 18 verses one and two commentary. This is on page 403. And this is what he's pointing at. He says, Ramban sums up his opinion of Rambam's approach. These words contradict scripture. It is forbidden even to hear them, and it is certainly forbidden to believe them. And what did the Rambam say? Rambam thinks that all those events occurred by themselves and only the utterances of the angels accompanying each event were in the form of a vision. So he's connecting what was going on with the three angels and them talking to Abraham. And then when they all split off to do their own things and all this kind of stuff, he's connecting that with this article from Judaism Un Unraveled. Sleeka, uh, yeah, Judaism Unraveled, this book that's available. And so, yeah, he's basically looking at that. And so he just sends me that. He doesn't really say anything. He's just like, and here's a whole lot of stuff. And I'm like, dude, you just open a portal into my lab while I'm working and you hit me with this. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he just kind of stands there as Dr. Sakal would and crosses his arms and looks at me with that face of what you got. And I'm like, what am I supposed to have? You didn't even give me a cohesive question. It's like, well, there's questions in the article. And I'm like, so this is how Shomer Man and Doctor Strange, obviously, or Doctor Sakal interact because you saw that in the Infinity War movie. <laughs> that was funny. So literally him and I do act with each other like that is so funny. Uh, anyway, uh, my favorite line, uh, Tony Stark says is, Doc, you might want to put that time stone in your back pocket. <laughs> it's just like, really? Oh, my gosh. Anyway. So with all this on the table, here's what happens. I go ahead and just text back. You know what? I agree with both. I love the temporary override. A day is a thousand years with a shim. So what's 33 years? 
Because, you know, can God die? Can God be in a finite form? Well, let's look at a temporary override. So, yes, God can do it. And it also would limit himself by the same time, not limit him. And so, yes and no, all at the same time, because, again, so 33 years, 33 years compared to one day with Hashem. What's 33 years compared to 1000 years? Like if you did that math, how would that work out? That's kind of like a moment of your day, according to Hashem. It's just kind of like for 30 seconds or whatever that timing worked out to be. He took a, a, a deep breath and, you know, he held his breath and out came Yeshua or something. Or I mean, I don't know what that what what happened is a temporary override. Obviously, it's probably none of that because I'm not Hashem and I can't tell you how it happened. I can tell you, though, that Hashem was uh, he spoke the Torah into being. The Torah became flesh and that's how we got Yeshua. And so whatever that looked like, it was 33 years of him being here as according to tradition. Him, he, we know he was under 50, so it was less than a jubilee time period. Uh, and so he was here for however long. And um, again, because there is no definitive age written about Yeshua. So we can't say he was 33 or he was 30 and all that kind of. Well, I guess we could say he was 30 because that's normally when um, Levites entered into their service. You know, you would study and go all the way up from there. And then 30 would be the inauguration of you into your service. So there is that. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff with calculating, you know, when he began his ministry and stuff. And then he ministered for three years. So that's how we get the tradition. He started at 30 and then he was 33. And then there's all this stuff that's brought down about he was 29 and a half. And then he actually died at 32 and a half and all this kind of stuff brought down from the Lightfoot study. But uh, anyway, all that to say, whatever time frame it was, it was not a thousand years. So there's that. And it's important to note Adam, the original Adam, his lifespan was supposed to be a thousand years. And it was cut short because he gave 70 of those years to David. So that's how King David actually got to live for 70 years because he took 70 years from the original Adam. And it's important to note that the second Adam is going to have his millennial kingdom and reign here on the earth for a thousand years. Why? Because that's what it was originally supposed to be. Adam living a thousand years. Actually, before we sinned, we, we weren't even supposed to die. So what does that look like? Which is why we're going to have time after that period. Anyway, so there's your eschatology for the day. All right, going on, it says... Uh, I quote Luke 137, it says, for nothing will be impossible with God, which connects us back to this week's Torah portion, Bereshit 18.4 or 18.14, Slika. Is anything too difficult for Adonai? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year and Sarah will have a son. Both verses are miraculous births. Why? Because here's from the Keher Tumash on uh, the chapter where Sarah is uh, giving birth to Yitzhak. It says this in the commentary. God remembered Sarah and she became pregnant. And God did for Sarah as he had spoken. 
The two expressions, God remembered and God did, allude to two distinct stages. God remembered Sarah means that he created the energy in the spiritual worlds that would enable her to bear a child. In other words, the Ruach HaKodesh would come up on her and cause her to become pregnant, just like it did with Miriam, the mother of Yeshua. Second one, God did for Sarah means that he manifested that spiritual energy in the physical world, i.e. she became pregnant, carried the baby to term, and actually gave birth to a child who was born of the spirit. This is also found in the Biure HaZohar from the Zemachzedek, volume one, page 59. So then you look at Luke again, verses 30 through 31 and verse 38. It says the angel spoke to her, do not be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will become pregnant because God is going to remember you. And then God is also going to do for you just like he did with Sarah. How? Because you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son and you shall call his name Yeshua. And remember, they told her his name should be called Yitzhak. And then it says in Luke 1, 38, uh, it says, so Miriam said, behold, the servant of Adonai, let it be done according to your word. And the angel left her. So Sarah and Miriam have the same experience when it comes to their child that they get to have. Okay, so I'm going to do some uh, cross-referencing here. And go to uh, 18.14. It says, is anything too impossible for Hashem? Nope, I will turn to you at this time from a year and you will have a son. And she, did, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And Hashem says, no, you did. <laughs> And important to note, this is one of the angels talking to her. Uh, then it says, then the men got up to leave and started out towards Sodom. Then the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing happens. Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. Lot does whole crazy stuff with his daughter. And then there's Avimelech that happens. And then there's baby time. <laughs> so that's what transpires in all this. So um, in 21.4, it says he was circumcised. No, here we go. Uh, 21 verse two, Sarah became pregnant, conceived, gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. Everything happened at the time. God had said it would. Abraham named his son. OK, Slika. Abraham named his son Yitzhak, the son Sarah gave birth to. So the baby was named by Abraham. This is one of the things that I want to bring down because the angel said that Miriam's child was going to be named Yeshua. Abraham named this miracle child of his and Sarah's Yitzhak. And so I want to put uh, Abraham and um, Yitzhak or Abraham and this angel here on the same plane because Abraham and Hashem have this uh, this kind of mirror relationship. So Abraham is known as the unique one. Pesachim 118a says, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, I am unique in my world and Abraham is still unique in his world. It is fitting for the unique to save the unique. So uh, there's a whole thing with that as far as Abraham and Hashem being like these mirror images. 
Like the way Hashem is unique in the higher worlds is the same way Abraham is unique in the in this lower world. So there's that. So basically, from the higher worlds, the higher worlds get named like the angel of Hashem, the angel that Hashem sent anyway to Miriam, which some people say it's Gabriel. Uh, he comes down. He tells. Miriam, hey, his name is going to be Yeshua. And then when Yitak is born, Abraham names it. It's like his name is going to be Yitak. So you have the higher worlds. Yeshua from the higher worlds. His father is Hashem. You have Yitak in the lower worlds. The lower worlds, Hashem is Abraham. So just a little picture there on that. Who names who? Both of these sons. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Ladder of Jacob, Benny B, about to drop kick everybody in the face. You ready for this? This is the parallel between Yitzhak and Yeshua. His birth was prophesied. He was born miraculously. His paternity was questioned by mockers. He was beloved only son of his father. He was the image of his father. He carried... The wood like a cross to the mountain as is written and codified in the Midrash Rabbah for Vayera crying out loud. Goodness. And then it says he. OK, again, we're we're paralleling everything that happened with Yitzhak and everything that happened with Yeshua. The higher worlds and the lower worlds are matching just like Hashem in the higher worlds matches Abraham in the lower worlds. Yeshua in the higher worlds matches Yitzhak in the lower worlds. OK. So just a side note on that, since we're all talking about higher worlds and lower worlds. So when that comes to realizing the son of promise that we put our faith in for atonement, who was sacrificed as an atonement for us in all generations. Because during Rosh Hashanah, we ask Hashem to look at, at Isaac. And we always ask Hashem to look at Yeshua. So <laughs> we're like going into the higher worlds and acknowledging the lower worlds at the same time. Just like this parallel that I'm reading. So in other words, looking at what we do as the P, because we're proclaiming Mashiach and, and asking for things and living in his merit and observing Torah and his merit and all of that. It's the same thing that those who are uh ob observant in torah out apart from the understanding of who mashiach is but even though they have torah they have him so that's interesting but anyway they put their their faith and their trust in the akida which again what was actually offered at the akida it was accounted as Yitzhak, but it was really that supernatural ram which is yeshua from the higher world so the higher worlds and the lower worlds actually became one through the akida so whether we're lapid before Hashem asking and uh, seeking atonement or whether we're not lapid and we're in Judaism and we're asking Hashem and seeking atonement, we're all pointing to the same thing, which is why those who want to be, quote unquote, saved, walking in relationship with Hashem through Torah is the same thing, should be the same thing, but it's not, unfortunately, that people who say, oh, yeah, I believe in, in the Messiah and he is my king and my Lord. And it's just like, OK, well, if he is and that brings you in the relationship with Hashem, you're supposed to be doing the same thing that those 
who believe in Hashem and follow his Torah do because it's the same thing. Like Yeshua is the Torah. The Torah is Yeshua. Why do you think we dance around with it during Simchat Torah? And why do you think we hold it, you know, on the bima and uh, beat the willows and cry out for salvation to Hashem on Hashanah Rabbah? Just saying, it's all this stuff is matching up just like this commentary. Okay, so again, Yitzhak, Yeshua, Abraham, and Hashem, like all of that, matching up the higher worlds and the lower worlds. Yeshua and Yitzhak, both birth prophesied, both born miraculously, both questioned by mockers as far as their paternity. Like your mother was with a, somebody else other than your claim to be father. Because for Sarah, this is followed after the story with Abimelech. And then for Miriam, it's like, yeah, something happened. You know, she there had to be some other guy that was around because her and Yosef were betrothed and she slept around like she had to have relations with somebody. You don't just up and have a baby by the Holy Spirit. Women get filled with the spirit all the time and it doesn't always or it hasn't really resulted in babies most cases anyway or maybe all cases i should say maybe there are some out there <laughs> uh anyway moving on <laughs> it says he was the beloved only son of his father uh his image he had the image of his father yitzhak looked exactly like abraham that actually comes down in this week's tour portion it's a beautiful midrash I don't know if Rabbi Griffin will get to say that or not, but hopefully he does, because if he does, I mean, it's going to blow your mind like everything else that he shared this week. Anyway, if you haven't checked out the Aliyah Day, please do. Aliyah 1 and 2 are just, it's just a no words. That's what, I keep trying to say something and nothing happens, because that's how amazing it is. <laughs> Shouts out to Rabbi Griffin. Okay. So Captain Israel throwing it down because he has a hammer and a shield because that's how that's how he rolls. <laughs> Everybody's carrying hammers these days. Maybe I need to get one. OK, anyway, uh, it says that the donkey was with him going toward the place of sacrifice. That's why Yeshua had a donkey. He rode in on Abraham and Yitzhak had a donkey that took them to Mount Moriah. And also says he was in his 30s. So we, now we have Yeshua being in his 30s because Yitzhak was 37. That's what Jewish literature brings down. And then it says he willingly participated and obeyed his father. There was a beautiful drop about uh, Yitzhak saying, you know, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So father, tie my hands and my feet. I don't want to flinch and invalidate the sacrifice because you're going to kosher slaughter me. And if you mess up the slaughtering uh, technique, then I will be an invalid offering. And so I don't want to do that to, you know, uh, tie my hands and feet. So I need to be marked on my hands and marked on my feet that I was actually offered up. So there's that whole thing. So, I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yitzhak was the one who said the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Stop it. <laughs> okay. But anyway, but that, that's, that's where that came from. So Yeshua telling his Talmudim, stay awake. You know, the spirit, the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. He was quoting Yitzhak. Wow. Okay. So anyway, says, uh, he, 
His sacrifice atoned for the sins of the world because if everybody didn't know, the Akedah atoned for not only the sins of Israel, but the sins of everybody. Let's see. I'm going to get to this. All right. Check this out. This is something that's just absolutely ridiculous. See if I can find it. The Midrash says that the binding of Etoch, i.e. the Akedah, atones for everyone, Jew and non-Jew, slave and free. Yep. Ready? It's from Leviticus Rabbah 2.11. The sages said, when Avraham Avinu bound Yitzhak his son, HaKadosh Baruchu instituted the two he lambs, the Tamid offering. Yep, the Tamid offering that we pray morning and evening. Shakarit and Minka. That is based off the Akedah. So that's why both lambs are actually likened to, are actually called one lamb. It's called the Tamid offering, not the Tamid offerings. So anyway, it says one in the morning and one in the evening. Why did he do this? When Israel offered up the daily korbanot on the altar, Hakadosh Baruch Hu remembers the Akedah. Goodness. When we offer up the korbanot, any korban we offer out in between the korbanot, because the only way to bring an offering to the temple, by the way, it, you have to offer the morning lamb first and then for the rest of that time until the evening lamb, you bring your sin offerings, your fellowship offerings, your guilt offerings, all of that. So every offering we bring is a part of the Akedah. So you got your morning lamb and you got your evening lamb and that all makes a beautiful sacrifice sandwich, if you will. And that all is the Akedah. So whatever you offer, it is pointing back to the Akedah. So when Mashiach was offered right before the final lamb of the day was offered, i.e. it is finished, because that's what he meant. The final lamb has been sl slain. So now it is finished and he gives up the ghosts and all that. That's all the Akedah. So his sacrifice points back to the Akedah. I don't know what to tell you on that. That's just that's insane. So anyway. Trying to continue, short of breath, uh, suit icing up, screen going blue, says Eliyahu says, I call heaven and earth to witness that whether a heathen or an Israelite, a man or a woman, a manservant or a maidservant reads this verse when they say Zaphona. So when you read the verse of the Corbinote, in your Siddur, when you get to the part about the north side of the altar, which is Zephona, which is another way to uh, say Mashiach being Yosef, the one who is offered for us. That right there is what this is talking about. And so it goes on to say, uh, when they get to that verse or when they get to that word before Adonai HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he remembers the Akedah. So, yeah, there's that. 
So back to what I was saying. They both atoned for the sins of the world. They both offered their life on Mount Moriah. They both laid up on the wood. They both have blood linked to the Pesach. Uh, they both have sacrifice that gives merit to sacrifices of the Torah. They both have a ram caught in a thicket by torns because Mashiach was the ram that was caught in the thicket at the Akedah. And then they actually put uh, thorns on his head at his Akedah, the crucifixion. And so they were both resurrected on the third day because this was the third day, by the way. So Yitzhak actually died and resurrected literally on the third day. Everything happened on the third day for him, but Mashiach Yeshua died on this day of Pesach. And then three, two days later, not even two days later, because it was the third day from there, it's 16th of Nisan. So if you look at the 14th, the 15th and the 16th, that's three days in a Jewish mind. So on the third day, Yeshua was resurrected because the 16th is when we offer the Omer. So Yeshua had to be resurrected because if he wasn't, then there would be no resurrection. Because if you don't bring the Omer on the 16th of Nisan, then ain't nobody going to eat for the year. And that never happened as long as the temple stood. Anyway, so there's that. All right. So I don't know how I got. Oh, the miraculous birth of Yitzhak. So, yeah. So anyway, so back to me and Sakal here. He says, good points and good sources. So where do we draw the line on all this, you know, like God can or can't do and the yes and the no's and circular triangles and God can't limit himself, but then he can limit himself. And I said, you know what? I don't see how we could draw a line. We're in the territory where we can't rule out definites. We're going deep space nine, as is written in this Trugman intro. In the Orchard of Delights, it says this. Throughout this book, we will see that not only can the Torah be understood on four levels, which is Pardes, Peshat, Remez, Drosh, and Sod. It says, but it can be understood on a manifold number of levels. Definition of manifold, <laughs> right? Reflecting the Arizal's notion that the Torah possesses 600,000 faces, which, by the way, comes from a Midrash that when Hashem appeared to us at Mount Sinai and gave us the Torah, he gave one Torah to all or each Jew. So he literally gave 600,000 Torahs because there are 600,000 men at Mount Sinai. So, yes, each of us have our own Torah. Get you some of that. And they don't conflict with one another and they are no different from the Torah. But it's in 600,000 forms. This is why Mashiach is called a body of many members. Because though we're an arm, though we're a foot, though we're a hand, though we're a hip, though we're a knee, we're all a part of the same body. Just like it is with the faces of the Torah. No matter which way you turn this Torah and look at it, all the faces are the same Torah. So 600,000 faces. Indeed, Kabbalah and Hasidut explain that not only all the mitzvot, but every story, every chapter, every verse and letter in the Torah yields layer upon layer of symbolic and associative meanings. Throughout the book, the term pardes will apply to both the four specific levels and 
to the myriad possible interpretations implicit in the very notion of pardes. So I told Dr. Sakal, we cannot rule out definites anymore. We can't just be like, oh, yeah, it's definitely that and not that. And this person's wrong. And that person's right. You know, all this kind of stuff. The only way we know definites is when people say, obviously, the Torah doesn't exist. Or, you know, we shouldn't do that Jewish stuff because that obviously is a whole different thing as opposed to we're reading the Torah and it's telling us we can eat pork like that. It, you like if you see that, that's obviously wrong but i'm talking stuff like this like can hashem die you know can can hashem manifest himself in a finite form and die you know it's just like well let's talk about the shattered tablets because that happened you know let's talk about why the tablets were shattered because of the golden calf let's talk about why the body of mashiach died because of our sin okay so yeah so you're looking at stuff like that so that's that's the kind of interpretation we're looking at so and i said there is Oh, because he said basically Hashem can do the impossible, but just because he can, will he do everything? Hashem supernaturally grafted Pincus into the Kohanim line as well. So again, he he likes to keep up the ruckus. So I said, okay, Messiah text page 128. How you like these apples? Once our masters were sitting and discussing from whom did Eliyahu descend? Some of them said from the seed of Rachel, others said from the seed of Leah. While they were thus sitting and discussing, Eliyahu came and stood before them. He said to them, my masters, I am descended from the seed of Rachel. For thus it is written in the genealogy of Benjamin that among his descendants were Yarishah and Eliyahu and Zikri, the sons of Yeroboam. And that's from First Chronicles. So Eliyahu, if he's descended from Raquel, specifically through Benjamin, he's not a Levite. But yet Eliyahu is called Pincus, according to commentaries. And Pincus was born of Levi, Levi, like he's one of Aharon's grandsons. So how do you connect them dots? <laughs> so anyway, so I said, well, as long as we can source it out back to the pattern of Torah as Rambam and Ramban did. You see, Eliyahu said he was from the seed of Raquel, but the priestly line comes from Leah. How did that work? Unless Pincus is Eliyahu, who descends from Levi, i.e. being the seed of Leah. And he sends me a picture of Deep Space Nine. So there's that. So anyway, just a, a couple of things that uh, I think are very poignant for us to kind of take into account on everything uh, with, you know, what Hashem is allowing us to see, because uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and go to the Agarit of Romans now, because I said we were going to do that. And I want to do that before finishing up with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, so in my Garrett to Rome, I am in chapter three now. Finally, it's almost been a year, I think. So in chapter three, it says, so what advantage does a Jew have? Or is there anything special 
benefit, advantage about being circumcised. So a Jew and circumcision are put on the same pedestal here. What advantage is there being a Jew and what advantage is there being circumcised? Okay, see the Aliyah day, Aliyah 2 for Pasha Vayera for this 5780. And uh, you'll you'll see the benefits of circumcision for sure. Uh, and then it goes on to say, yes, there are great benefits in every way or in all different ways. The most important thing is this. First, God trusted the Jews with his teachings, revelations, oracles, i.e. the old Torah, the Midrash and all of that wonderfulness. How do we learn about the rock that traveled with the children of Israel in the wilderness, that rock being Messiah? How do we learn about Messiah? Because that's all Jewish stuff. The only reason you know that you should believe in a Messiah and he made atonement for you is from Judaism. Verse three, if some Jews were not faithful to him, will their unfaithfulness stop God from doing what he promised? Okay, so he's already transitioned out of what he's talking about onto this whole point about Okay, so if we're looking at Jews being important, we're looking at circumcision being important. So then what is actually going on with the Jews during this time? There's a big Sadducee upheaval going on because, you know, you got basically Rome running the temple. You don't have any sons of Levi uh, or sons of Aaron being the Kohen Gadol. You now have bought and paid positions of the Kohen. And then you have, you know, a bunch of Sadducees being Levites and they're supposed to teach the Torah and they don't know about the oral Torah. So he's just kind of like, OK, so then if that's the case, what about if Jews are unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness stop God from doing what he promised? And verse four says, no, absolutely not. May it never be. God will continue to be true even when every person is false. Let God be true and every person a liar, as scripture says. Notice he's about to quote scripture. What does he call scripture? Tehillim. Tehillim is equated to the Torah because they are both five books. The Torah was given to us through Moshe and the Tehillim was given to us through David. David and Moshe are both considered to be very, very uh, Le'ela level uh, Zadikim. So get you some of that. Anyway, so he goes on to quote that, but I want to just bring this back real quick about the advantage of being a Yehudi because we open up Parsha Vayera with Hashem appearing to Avraham and before Hashem did not appear to Avraham. And what just happened? Avraham got circumcised. Abraham has been in relationship talking to Hashem. He's been getting all these visions or not visions, but he's been getting prophesied to and talked to and all this kind of stuff. But Hashem didn't show up and like say, you know, you get to sit in my presence. I will stand in your presence. Like we're supposed to, it's supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to stand in the presence of Hashem. Because, you know, when we go to the temple, we're in the presence of Hashem and you're not allowed to sit in the temple unless you're of the household of David, which means you're a king, which means you're son of God. Because king of Israel is a euphemism for son of God. So when we look at all that, it's just kind of like, whoa, what is going on here? Abraham is allowed to sit and Hashem is like, no, I'm standing, you're sitting. And then it, the roles reverse to where now Abraham is going to stand up and tell Hashem to sit. 
And Abraham is like, no, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you some bread. And then he's like, actually, I just I told you something little, but I'm actually going to do something big because that's what Azotic does. Azotic says, I'm going to do this thing. And but what he actually ends up doing is something way more than that. He's just like, I was just going to go to the store and buy you a drink. And it's like, well, I bought you a drink. I bought you some cookies. And then I saw this little thing over here. So I got that for you. And so you're just like, I thought I thought you're just getting me like a bottle of water. It's like, yeah, well, that's what I said. But I do more than what I say because because that's how I roll. And it's like Judaism calls that person exotic. Anyway, so uh, just so we know on that. So this whole thing about what advantage do we have? That is what's going on. So Dr. Sakal sent me this. Uh, so, yeah, this is all Sakal files. So Or Hakim says um, this about it. He says. Let's see here. Abraham spoke in the singular. Abraham made his request to them, right? So it says. Dun, 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 dun. There was a thing that I remember reading about him standing over them and like them eating. Where was that? That's how much we talk because I, I don't even remember. <laughs> where I saw that did he send that to me what did he say hmm. hospitality hmm. yep don't remember but there's this whole thing about Abraham sitting over him and under the tree, all this stuff. Where was it? Goodness. Let's see. This is from Zor Hamor, I think. And it goes to say that Abraham. It says, perhaps the sages based themselves on this approach when they interpreted the words need it and make cakes. The numerical value of the first letters of these words. Vezadik al-Shulchan Abraham Yavo. It says the numerical value of the first letters of each of these words in that phrase are identical with the word Yeshua. 386. Uh, and it says Rashi on a vote 318 explains the acronyms or that the acronyms and the numerical values are of the same category of exegetical tools abraham had acquired all this wisdom through torah which is also known as the tree of life this is why he invited his prospective guests with the words reinvigorate yourselves beneath the tree which is actually vehoshiana vehoshianu Tachat ha'etz. So the word Hoshiana about saving, redeeming, uh, is about reinvigorating yourselves, rejuvenating, and all of that. But I really don't remember where I saw there was this whole thing about him, you know, standing over him and all this kind of stuff so that they can eat and this whole, I, I don't know. Man, like, 
this is how much information just floods me that I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember why I read this. And I don't remember what it was trying to say. Hospitality. I know it was under the hospitality drop. Hmm. Okay, I think this was it. Uh, Rabbi GQ. Rabbi Greenbaum. He says, through the simple act of showing hospitality to strangers and visitors, note the, the writer to the Hebrews, by the way, and this is an insert that I'm putting in. The writer to the Hebrews that says, uh, don't be um, slow in showing hospitality because by doing so, you may entertain angels. You know, and obviously that is an allusion to Abraham, who did entertain angels because he was hospitable to Hashem, which were these three men that showed up. So it says through the simple act of doing that, Abraham was in the wilderness. We're not talking about entertaining friends for dinner. Man imitates his maker. So side note, Abraham is in the wilderness and he's being hospitable. It's hard to be hospitable living it just in a city, in a suburb. How much more so in the wilderness where you ain't got nothing out there on either side of you. Abraham's like, yeah, yeah, we got plenty of stuff. Come on in. Sit down. Wash your feet. No, I'm going to wash your feet. You know, there's a whole thing about Abraham washing their feet. <laughs> Hence why Yeshua will wash our feet. Anyway, it says man imitates his maker, the owner of the house. Man himself becomes a host, providing his guests not only with their physical needs, but also with spiritual nourishment. Abraham gives his visitors the waters of spirituality with which to wash their feet of false ideas. He brought them in to rest under the tree, the tree of life. These are the ways of peace. When we sit down to talk peacefully with visitors and strangers about Torah and the purpose of life, this brings the divine presence to dwell with us. Pursuing such ways of peace made Abraham worthy of miracles, the miracle of the birth of Yitzhak, a worthy successor. Goodness. So, yeah. Anyway, so the significance of Abraham doing all this hospitality and having them sit under the tree, washing their feet. There's just this whole big thing about the sitting and the serving and all of that is just a get you some. I really wish I could think about the succinct ideas that I was thinking about. And just just because it says uh, the Rambam brings out Avraham by means of his hospitality and teachings drew tens of thousands of people to Hashem's service. And then. Uh, let's see here. I think that'll do it as far as what I was trying to think of. So, yeah, resting underneath the tree and Abraham's hospitality. And there we go with that. Um, looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's see if we can um, go to this real quick. Because there's this understanding here that Yeshua brings down 
because the depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah was like ridiculous. One of the things that you should know about Sodom and Gomorrah, there were two of five cities that existed in this beautiful plain that looked on the level of Ghani Din. Uh, like this place was so beautiful. It was so lush. It was absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, how amazing it looked. And so Lot was like, yeah, I'm going there, you know? And so anyway, uh, the reason it looks the way it looks now is because that's how destructive and how much damage Hashem actually did to it. It turned an oasis into like just barren wilderness and desert, you know? And so, uh, yeah. So with that being said, Saddam and Gomorrah, uh, they have this whole thing about what, what their depravity. So let's start with the letter that Yehuda wrote, the letter of Jude. Verse seven says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave Lily. See, it says surrounding towns because remember it was, a, it was two of five cities. Okay, and Hashem destroyed all but one because that's how his mercy works. It was like there really were not even 10 righteous people that Abraham was uh, interceding for, to me for. But, you know, I'll leave one city. But anyway, uh, it says in a similar way, they, them in the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Um, then I'm going to go over here to Rabbi GQ. Because he had a crazy drop on Sodom and Gomorrah. So he says. Those who are familiar with the stark, eerie. <laughs> he says stark. Shomer. Eerie desert mountain landscape of Yam Hamalach, which is salt, not to be confused with Melech or Malak, which is angel. Melech is king, Mal Malak is angel, and Melach is salt. If that ain't confusing, I don't know what is. <laughs> There's Lamets and Kafs and Chets. I mean, and, uh, yeah, Kafs and Chets. You know, so it's just like, what is it? Anyway, says this area known as the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, is unique climate and colors may try to imagine it uh, as the setting for one of the most sophisticated civilizations that ever was. So if you're familiar with what it looks like now, um, you know, it's just kind of like that's not how it always used to be. For prior to the raining down of God's anger on Saddam and the neighboring towns in the form of fire and brimstone, that same area was once luxuriantly fertile like God's garden from Bereshit 1310. Just as a side note, let's look at Bereshit 1310. It's interesting, he quotes an actual verse. Lot looked all around and saw the whole Yardin Valley or Plainer region, and there was much water there. It was like the God, the it was like the Lord's garden, 
the Garden of Eden, like the land of Mitzrayim in the direction of Zoar, meaning small, in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah. That word Zoar, not Zohar. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that's how beautiful this place used to be. It says, the desolate areas around the Dead Sea, Yam HaMelach, are gaunt testimony to the fact that unless man repents, sin leads to destruction. So just from nature alone, you can see if you don't repent from your sin, that's the destruction level that we're looking at. It's going to be like, you used to look like Ghani then, now you look like the Dead Sea Desert. <laughs> Nothing out there. Okay, and then it says, uh, human immorality can destroy not only man himself, but the very physical environment around him. Okay, and then it said or the same lesson is implicit later in our parsha in the illness that afflicted Avimelech and his household when he kidnapped Sarah. The destruction of the civilization of Saddam was an historical and ecological disaster that was deeply etched in the consciousness of antiquity. Numerous passages in the book of Job and elsewhere in the Bible can contain allusions to the immorality and subsequent destruction of Saddam. The Midrash is rich in the tales of Eliezer's encounters with the inhabitants of Sodom and of their ways. Eliezer was the son of Nimrod. He was like the inhabitants of Sodom, descended from Ham, except that Eliezer submitted himself to the slavery decreed upon the children of Ham. Go figure, um, black skin, dark skinned people descended from Ham. And we had this whole thing about slavering the black people uh, as a part of world history because that was a, a offshoot of the curse of Ham. But anyway, just extra information. That, that was the bonus. OK, anyway, the whole drosh is a bonus, I guess. Uh, it says that uh, Eliezer submitted himself to the slavery decreed upon the children of Ham by attaching himself to Abraham. The flip side of that curse that the, some descendants of Ham would be enslaved is that the that we could be enslaved not only to the bad or to uh, injustice, but we can also have the choice to be slaves to righteousness. Because, you know, being a slave with Hashem is being free. And so I look at myself as a dark skinned person and I'm like, Wow, I'm so glad to be Torah observant. Like, I'm totally fine with being Hashem's slave. That's totally fine with me to be a slave among other slaves in the Jewish nation. Because we are all slaves to Hashem. And if we're not, we might want to stop what we're doing, return to Yeshua, and go from there. But anyway, it says the inhabitants of Sodom, on the other hand, were so enslaved to human perversity that there was no remedy except to destroy them. So, Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other cities were like, oh my gosh, listen, okay, so they worship self, they're the ultimate expression in this thing called sodomy, and this is what, uh, this is the sin of Ham when he uncovered his father's nakedness, 
It says sodomy is an extreme violation of the covenant, which decrees that human sexuality be elevated to serve as the bond that brings husband and wife together and procreating and raising holy souls. Instead, sodomy degrades, abuses man's highest creative power, his seed, throwing it into the very gutter, the part of the body designated to expel poisonous waste and filth. Sodomy degrades both the passive partner who is subjugated and used and the active partner who is turned into selfish, lustful animal. Uh, they used to gang rape strangers and visitors as the sodomites idea of a happy festive evening. And then um, that's why the whole thing with the angels, when they come to lot and people show up at the door and they're like, we want to be hospitable. We want to welcome these people because we love them. And we don't want to tell you what that means. The sodomites going on in commentary is disturbing as this is. The sodomites typify methodical human nastiness in the guise of rights and laws. Literally, midat Sodom. Characteristically, sodomite traits are typified in many places in the Talmud, such as the concept of refusing a person some benefit even when one has nothing to lose. This is where the whole salt comes from. Because salt, uh, Lot's wife would make all this bland food that you needed to put salt on. And she's like, nope, I ain't putting no salt on that. You can live with it. And if you ask me for salt, I don't have any. And then furthermore, I'm going to have to go to my neighbors and say, oh, we have guests. Can we have some salt? Because we have guests. May I have some salt? Did I mention we have guests and this is why I need salt? Because everybody knows I don't give out salt. And it's like, uh, excuse me, aren't you next to the Dead Sea? Like, it's full of salt. How do you not have salt? You're in Salt City. You're in Salt Lake City, literally. And it's like, mm, no, I don't have any. Hence why she gets turned into a pillar of salt when she looks back <laughs> at the destruction of the place where she didn't give out salt. She got assaulted. It was a salt and battery. And it was just, yeah, hope she wasn't too salty about it. Well, I guess she was salty about it because that's what she is now. Anyway, but we don't want to uh, throw salt in her wounds. So let's not. Let's stop, I guess. Okay. Anyway, what I wanted to say was this is where we get my name acronym from. My acronym after waters. So you may notice around Tar Shalom, around Lapid, that there are some people who have this little cup in this little bowl and they pour waters over their fingertips on one hand you know from the knuckle of the thumb to right above the second knuckle joint uh, from the fingertip of the other four fingers so if you start from your fingertip count one knuckle two knuckle and just right above that you run water down your hand so start with your thumb roll your hand run you know, pour this little water over there and then you switch hands, pour it on the other hand. Same thing. This is called my acronym after waters. This is the whole thing about removing the salt of Sodom. So literally when you're doing the after waters, you're making atonement for Lot's wife. You know, you're making tacoon for that. Just the way that women, when they make the hala, they're making a tacoon for bringing the forbidden fruit to Adam and causing him to eat it. He could have said no, by the way, but that's neither here or there. And I guarantee you when my wife brings me holla, I will not tell her no.
so hopefully she's making appropriate holla at, like she always does and that's good okay but anyway little thing on the Mayim acronym that's all connected to that and in antiquity they used to make uh foods uh with salt that was literally uh like it burned your eyes if you wiped your hand after a meal or during a meal so they wanted to make sure that after the meal you wash the salt off your fingertips so that in case you needed to wipe your face or you know touch your eye or whatever you didn't have to worry about burning your eye out so there's practical and spiritual reasons to it as well. And there's a Kabbalistic drop that's brought down. I brought this down last year. One of my podcasts, can't remember. It was around Parsha, Kitetse, Kitavo, around that area. And there was this whole thing about uh, giving like a little bit of uh, like a Azazel to the Klepot. Because there's always accusations like whenever we sit down and eat a meal, there's always like, these people are eating to gluttony. They're not eating to serve you Hashem. And it's like, well, actually, let's just wait a minute. Because watch what they're going to do when they finish eating. It's like, oh, they did the Mayim Akradin. So now it's like, we washed off the salt, the the tangible materiality of what we just partook of. And it's in this little dish, you know, and the Klepot go find that dish and they run and jump in it. They're like, look. Look at all this stuff. And then you pour that water out and the Klepot are like chasing that water. And by the time they can find up and catch it, find catch up with it and find it, you know, we're already starting the beer cot. You know, whether we're saying, because uh, typically you would do after water after you've eaten bread. So you'd say the beer cot on his own, the blessing after meals, or after you've eaten anything um, that you don't have to do my acronym for, you know, you're already saying that that particular blessing after you eat. This is why we bless after we eat to distinguish that, hey, we're eating for your sake, Hashem, not just because we're gluttonous, not just because we're just trying to do our own thing and, and uh, gratify ourselves. It's like, nope, we're eating so that we can bless you. That's the only reason we're eating, because if I didn't eat, I wouldn't have strength to bless you. If I didn't eat, I couldn't focus enough to bless you. I couldn't do things that I need to do so that I can bless you. Namely, like go to work so I can make a paycheck, so I can pay my tithe, give to the mikvah, give to the shul, give to people who are in need, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, just a little side note on after waters and the salt of Sodom. And so goes on to say that mines is mines and yours is yours. Okay, that's from a vote 510 uh, talking about the uh, character traits of Sodom. It says the Sodomites rebelled against the law of God. Do we know anybody rebelling against the law of God these days? Because if so, they're called Sodomites. Just saying that's in commentary. So check check who you're with if you're rebelling against the law of God. Are you a Sodomite or are you an Israelite? Because if you're a Sodomite, that's interesting. Uh, it says making their own merciless laws, rebelling against any effort to reform them as when they reminded Lot that he was a stranger. Shall someone come to dwell and make judgments? Bereshit 19.9. Sodom was the very opposite of the civilization that Abraham sought to create, where residents invite strangers in and sit together and talk in shalom sodom is unwary strangers are grabbed and they are lynched 
there was no remedy for the sodomites except to overthrow and destroy their entire civilization. One of the reasons why this whole timing worked out, because by the time these angels visit Abraham and he's circum he got circumcised previously, they show up and visit. They're getting ready to go to Sodom because they're going to destroy it and all the other cities. Uh, they had just executed a girl for uh, privately uh, making sure that a homeless person is given enough bread to be sustained. They found this guy in the city who was homeless and they're like, nobody better feed him because we want him to die because we don't want homeless people in our cities. And so why is this guy still alive? And then they find out there's this little girl who's feeding him and she's been doing it secretly. And so we're going to find her now. We're going to cover her in honey. And then we're going to cause uh, bees to come and sting her to death in the, in the public square. So they tied her down, doused her and all that, and brought bees and stang her to death. That's in Midrash. And this was one of the most cruel acts that were ever done there, on top of all the many cruel things that they did there, because there's a lot of just debauchery and horribleness. And so this was the point where Shem said, you know what, that's it. We're destroying the whole thing. All right, angels better go. Go talk to Abraham first. Uh, see if the judgment gets sweetened, because even though they deserve full judgment, I will not give them that because I'm a merciful God. So let's let you go talk to myself below, because, you know, I am only unique here. Abraham is unique down there. So therefore, go talk to go talk to the reflection of who I am down there and, and hopefully help them out. Because. I'm going to destroy every single thing. So now we can look at Yeshua descending to bring forth an appeasement of the destruction that should have been dealt to all mankind. And now you see how that all plays out. It's not that God's this angry man and his son is like, oh, I'm the only one who can keep him away from hurting you. It's like, no, you deserve the full judgment that you should get. But just like Abraham prayed on behalf of them, so does Mashiach go and pray on behalf of us. So there's that. So when we look at all of this heavy depravity here, Yeshua in Matthew chapter 10, uh, in verse 14 through 16. So let me go there real quick. He says probably one of the most jaw dropping statements. I mean, all of his statements really are jaw dropping to me, but that's just me. Uh, when you look at, look at what we just talked about with Sodom, right? Here's what Yeshua says. Verse 14 in chapter 10 of Matthew, Matit Yahu. And if a home or town refuses to welcome you or to listen to you, leave that place and shake off or shake its dust off your feet. Verse 15, I tell you the truth on the judgment on the judgment day, it will be better for the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the people of that town. Are you kidding me right now? What is the level of the message and the words that the Talmudim were bringing to all of these cities that he's sending them out to, that it's like, if they don't accept that, it's better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than these people who reject that. 
What does that mean? That means the fullness of the manifestation of the Torah, the insights, the oral Torah, like the get you some, the Lapid style Judaism that we uh, are striving in today. Like if people reject that, I mean, it's better for Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's just kind of like, say what? Because I can't tell you like at Lapid, we do like study. We do. We're observant. We, you know, we strive uh, to a very high level of orthodoxy. And, you know, we have a bait dean that we follow. They we already have our halakha. You know, that's posted on our website, by the way. And we welcome everybody in. And it's not hard because you just get started and you pick up where you can. You know, we encourage people to start with the Shabbat, then work on Kashrut, which takes at least 30 days, you know, and don't throw away your food that you have now. Obviously, throw out your pork and stuff. But, you know, eat eat your unkosher chicken that you have in your fridge because you already have it and we don't expect you oh you just showed up to Sar Shalom and Shabbat and now you know you're supposed to eat kosher and you go home okay go throw your food away and starve for the rest of Shabbat so you can go to the grocery store and like you know spend a, spend money on kosher chicken and then you know all that kind of stuff like no you don't do that <laughs> you know so you got to work your way through this process here but anyway um so I mean that's the message of entering into covenant you come as you are and God's going to transform you and change you. You don't remain as you are. Remain as you are is actually speaking from the letter to Corinth that Shaul wrote about just because you convert doesn't mean you need to leave your job. Doesn't mean you need to leave your marriage. Doesn't mean you need to call yourself not your mother's son or not your father's son. Okay, like you you remain as you are as that person. So you're still you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, you're now just, you're Jewish, you're in covenant, you know? So yeah, you're go, go remain as you are and go influence people kind of thing. So anyway, so obviously that verse was taken way out of context, uh, by today's theology, because I guarantee you the people who come into Lapid, wait a year, wait two years, wait three years, wait five years, wait six years, wait eight years. I guarantee you they will not be as they were when they came, <laughs> you know, if you're nine years into Sar Shalom and you still don't know what a Hexer is, please see Azakin immediately. Please contact me. Let me help you, please. Okay. That's, you shouldn't have that going on. Okay. Nine years. I'm talking nine years. That's nine of every festival, nine times going through the tour portions, nine times studying the commentaries. Nine times of daily uh, Siddur praying, like Siddur reading, Torah studying, uh, Aliyah days, like nine years of that. Okay. Just saying. Okay. So. Mm -mm -mm. There's a thing where Yeshua talks about Sodom and Gomorrah would have long repented. So let me go ahead and drop that here. And um, that will kind of 
close that yeah that'll close our time so let's see here Okay. Stand by. I'm apparently overworking prep day. <laughs> uh, this is not a verse that I originally intended to uh, share, but I think it's worth sharing considering now we know a little bit more about what's going on here. Thank you for your patience. Please wait. Enjoy this music while your party waits. Okay. Wow. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 11. Back to back, huh? Okay. So we're going to pick up in um, verse 20. It says, Yeshua began to criticize, which is rebuke rebuking these cities where he did most of his miracles. He's rebuking the places where he worked miracles. Why? Because the people did not change their lives and stop sinning. I.e. they did not repent. Yep, that was me throwing my phone. Because <laughs> Yeshua is like, all right, I've been here doing miracles. I'm showing you the glory of God. This is the Torah made flesh. I'm here to bring atonement to the world. I'm here to intercede and do all this stuff. And y'all ain't even changing your lives. Y'all ain't even stopping your sin. So what does he say in verse 21? He says, how terrible for you, Chorazin. How terrible for and woe to you, Bethsaida. OK. If the same miracles and powerful deeds I did that occurred in you happened in Tyre and Sidon, those people would have changed their lives a long time ago. Now, Tyre and Sidon are Phoenician cities. Notorious for their wickedness, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Going on to say, they would have worn rough cloth, put ashes on themselves to show they had changed. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be better for Tyr and Sodom than you. And you, Capernaum. Here we go, Capernaum. This is like... Yeshua's home base headquarters. Will you be lifted up too in heaven? No, you will be thrown down to the depths. If the miracles and powerful deeds I did that incurred in you had happened in Sodom, another place where 
God destroyed the city because people were so evil. Bereshit 19. It would still be a city and would have remained until today because its people would have repented and judgment would have been averted. But I tell you on the day of judgment, it will be better and more bearable and tolerable for Saddam and that whole region than for you. This is the level of destruction aimed at repentance or unrepentance. So if you don't change, if you don't convert, if you don't, you know, become Torah observant, if you don't, you know, grab a hold of a mitzvah of some sort, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be better for Tyr and Sodom. Like super wicked places. I might add at its finest. Okay. This is one of the, the study concepts where you can use a greater and a lesser and use the comparison of the two it's like, let's look at the depravity and the wickedness of Saddam and Gomorrah and Cabernet. Let's look at how great your wickedness is. Like Saddam and Gomorrah's wickedness was so great that if I would have done stuff in them that I'm doing in you, they would have repented. But you're showing that you're even more wicked than them. And this is where I grew up. And you're like, nah, whatever. We're not going to repent. More miracles. Are you even the Mashiach? We want to recount. And it's just kind of like, wow. So anyway, not to end the uh, tour portion on a bad note. Um, I want to pick, pick, pick. Something, something, something that I got to read from the Mashiach, who, what, when, where and why book, because this is what we're headed at and what we're aimed at. So there's this whole thing about Mashiach that he has such a job that he need. Oh, my goodness. Fifty five minutes ago, maybe not fifty five minutes ago, but it feels like it. I said this whole thing about under the tree. It came from Dr. Sakal. He posted this on Facebook. It says, Abraham stood over them under the tree and they ate. Bereshit 18.8. When Abraham stood over them, only then were the angels capable of eating and elevating their food. Rabbi Dove Bear of Lubavitch. So in other words, because Abraham stood over them, they were actually able to physically eat and physically elevate their food. Other than that, if he didn't do that, they would eat and it would nothing would happen. It just kind of like, OK, so all this kind of stuff. So you think about Mashiach when he shows up in his res resurrected body to the Talmudian and they're like, ah, what are you doing? He's like, come on, let's eat. So Yeshua's like, no, I can eat. I'm good. You guys are here. I'm here. You know, we can we can all sit down and eat because I'm on that level. I'm on the Ayla level. OK, like the angels, when they came to visit Abraham, Abraham had to stand over them to give them the sanctity of being capable of eating. But I don't need anybody to stand over me to make me capable of eating, even though I'm in my like Olama body right now. Anyway, for what that's worth, he goes on in his commentary over here. What more spiritual activity could there be than eating? 
when it is done not only with the mouth, but with the mind. When a human being eats and his mind and his soul are engaged, he separates the good from the bad, the divine from the mundane. The food rises to a higher realm and then the divine sparks he has discovered within the food carry him yet higher. The angels are incapable of such a feat unless a human soul provides them the power for end mindful eating. The human soul reaches beyond the entire order of being as the creator formed the spiritual, the physical. So the human being transforms the physical into the spiritual as the creator formed the spiritual into the physical. So the human being transforms the physical into the spiritual. All right, Dr. Call, you're out. Okay. I'm just letting you know, calling the police on you. They'll be at your door. All right. So go ahead and put that call in. And, uh, here's what I want to end with as far as Mashiach's job. So there's this whole thing in the Mashiach, all the who, what, when, where, why book, Rabbi Kramer. Um, he's talking about, he says, there are several types of messianisms that have arisen. Okay. And it says, so like there's capitalism, there's socialism, there's egalitarianism, there's Zionism, anti-Zionism, and so on. Each ism has a noble purpose rooted in the theme of Mashiach. A wealthy world and an egalitarian world, a return to Zion, and a world of belief, or in a world where belief in Mashiach is the only way of life. All these ideas base themselves on one aspect of the utopia that will exist during Messianic times. That is on page 17 of the book. Continuing on to the next page, it goes into talking about, well, if Mashiach is going to be a Hasid, then there's a group that's anti-Hasid. And then if Mashiach is a Sephardi, will he be accepted by Ashkenazi? And if Mashiach is an Ashkenazi, will he be accepted by a Sephardi? And then if he is Jewish, will the anti-Semitic people accept him because Mashiach is supposed to win the nations? And it's like, when you really look at where's Mashiach going to come from and how will he be received and embraced that's a big role to fill. And it quotes that I believe it's Pesachim 54a shooting from the hip. I don't like doing that, but it talks about Mashiach being prepared for his role from before the foundations of creation. So this was never an issue to Hashem that, OK, who's going to be like, yeah, we've been waiting for him or who's going to be like, no, we we don't want him and all that kind of stuff. It's like that's already been determined, set and planned. Mashiach is who he is and whoever is waiting for him and whoever is looking for him, they will know him when they see him. We will all know him when we see him because we're going to point to him and say, this is our God and we will worship him. Because, yes, we will be every knee will bow and every tongue which shall, shall confess, just like we read in the Elenu, to the king of kings, Lord of lords, which just so happens to be Mashiach, Hashem's manifestation on the earth. Like all of that divineness stuff, the angel of Hashem made flesh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so that's how I want to end Parsha Vayera drop zone. 
So I hope there's been lots of insightful information for everyone. Uh, I did get to do Spoon Radio this week again. I dropped a whole 15 minute. Well, it actually ended up being 18, probably 19 minutes of uh, Holy Temple Talk. I'm trying to get to uh, talking about the worship that goes on in the temple on a 24-7 basis. So feel free to check that out uh, if you have the time and if you're interested so that you can find that on my Twitter and my Facebook and all of that good stuff. So I met Lapide uh, via the Spoon Radio app. Uh, I now have two 15-minute little things up there. And this is all aimed at uh, people who don't know much about Hebrew, people who don't know much about Judaism, and definitely anyone who uh, lacks information and things on the temple. So feel, feel free to check that out. Um, Bezrat Hashem, I will be able to uh, do some Lapid live videos. Uh, we have the Call No Man Rabbi and uh, Changing Your Name uh, Drashas in the in the works. So, however Hashem wants to work that out, uh, that's that's what will happen. In the meantime, uh, look out for Tacoon Tunes. <laughs> With the help of Hashem, we'll get to be able to do that. Uh, so far, it'll be Hashmala. We have Toshia, which is our Black Panther character, uh, myself and Ishpela, and uh, anybody else that wants to join. Uh, we want to do some Takoon tunes and, you know, bring forth the Geula into the world. I mean, Shiak has given us this time. I would be remiss to say if you're undecided whether you should convert and be in covenant, whether you want to be Christian and in the church. Whether you want to be Muslim and at the uh, the mosque, like however that works, or any other thing else you want to be, uh, you have this time to make your choice. Uh, Hashem is not going to force you, and he's definitely not going to sucker you into anything. So know what's true to you is, is absolute truth, you know, uh, as far as what you're going to follow and what you're going to claim, because Hashem is giving us this time. So don't ever feel like when he shows up and judgment day happens and rewards are passed out. Don't feel like nobody ever told you because because you just got told. Amen.